guys, Jack here. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you want more great Just Hands content, head to our website, JustHandsPoker.com. There you'll find our strategy blog, information about coaching, the Just Hands membership, premium podcasts, lots of good stuff. Check it out. Thank you guys again. Enjoy this week's episode. Hey there, Jackson. Hey, Zach. What's going on, man? Not much. Enjoying this beautiful view of the Gold Coast. Oh, you're back in Las Vegas? Yeah, very, very short stay, but, you know, I really, really just wanted to be here the first day of the World Series of Poker, so here I am. Oh, wow. All right. You got any World Series of Poker plans? Yeah, I was planning on making the November 9, but now it's in July. I'll have to settle for that, so. Yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah. All right. I plan plan to just, like, lose all of the other tournaments I play, like, really early on, and then just bank the main. That's (laughs) that's the plan. Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, that sounds just like you know a pretty standard World Series. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, I'll be I'll be rooting for you. Yep. All right. So you got a hand? I do. This is actually a hand that uh, you were at the table at when we played at an amazing five ten game in an undisclosed location in Los Angeles. Yes, but I was I was not paying attention, and you asked me about <laughs> the hand right as right after you played it, and I was not able to weigh in then. Hopefully I can weigh in now, provide, hopefully we can we can reach some clarity or have a good discussion. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, so um, it's a 5-10 game where I'd say probably every other orbit, there's like a mandatory straddle of 20 on average, but it kind of went, went in waves. And then when there wasn't mandatory straddles, probably about half the time people would just straddle. And you could straddle any position at this casino. So it was 5-10-20 it was most of the time. And this hand was no exception. So I'm looking at ace queen of clubs, and I think we're we're yeah we're eight handed at the time. So I'm under the gun plus one, and I make it sixty five dollars. And then the the main villain and the only other player in this hand who is two to my left, he makes it two hundred dollars. The effective stack is eighteen hundred. This is like a you know, middle-aged guy from L.A. who has kind of, after sitting down, making fun of Jack and I for various things and outing us as professional poker players. You remember this guy, Jack? Yeah, I do remember him. He wasn't. He actually wasn't from L.A., but... Um, oh, he wasn't from L.A.? We, we later found out. Oh, yeah, after I left. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not... I haven't spent that much time in California. He felt very much like an L.A. guy. So I yeah. understand why you would think that. Um, yeah. Well, and I asked him before, it's like, where do you normally play? He's like, I play here. So, yeah. yeah. We don't need to... Let's not go into it too much because yeah, I, learned, I, I learned a good amount more about his uh This this stick. wasn't This wasn't the guy from the Bay Area, by the way. No. This was the skinnier guy. Uh, did I ever tell you about, like, what, what, what I, I... Well, okay, I'll tell you about it after because it's kind of private. Uh yeah. Yeah, basically, uh, sorry to not include you listeners, but one of the uh, one of the players at our table, as Joey Ingram likes to put it, uh, was breaking the terms of service uh, for a lot of things and was quite vocal in sharing that with the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... But this was another guy who, you know, sat down, seemed like he was really good action. He was playing, a, I, this was probably 45 minutes into playing with him, he... Three bet me once beforehand, and I folded, 
and he was playing a lot of hands. And he definitely was like trying to talk to me a lot and trying to get me to admit that I was like a professional poker player, uh, which is something I generally don't do while I'm at the table. He was kind of really, really laying on the needles. Was this after uh, there was a hand where I did something? Oh, yes. I called with Ace King High, yeah. which I, I, I mean, it was in my opinion like a pretty clear call, but I lost to a pretty bad hand, like a low pair. And Zach, you know, sitting right across from me, gave me like this, this really like just like concerned look. Um, <laughs> and he commented and he on ca- that. Yeah, he caught on. He's yeah. like, "What are you guys like working together?" Uh, <laughs> and then from that, he also, I think he had said at this point, he said that he was just trying to get under our skin. He said to me, "Like, you're probably the second best player at this table." And then he said that Zach is probably the best player at the table. You know, so he obviously wasn't very perceptive, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jack was not the second best player at the table. I, I feel you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, he uh, he was good fun though. This was all this was all good fun, you know. Yeah. And this is you know if, if you're if you're playing poker for a living and you find yourself in a five ten game where your hourly is no less than two hundred dollars an hour, which I think is a fair statement for this game. Uh, oh, five you know, ten twenty. Got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to be able to, to to roll with the punches. So. Yeah, sorry, sorry for the long lead up, but it was a it was a fun night, fun fun player, and we wanted you to have the full picture. So he makes a two hundred and looked like fairly stoic while doing it. Like I think as much as he wanted to kind of get me in Jack, uh, he was also probably intimidated. You know, like as Jack said, like one time earlier in a hand, like he saw me make a play, and after he's like, "Wow, that was such a good play! Like you're so good!" Like kind of needle, but kind of you know, I think telling the truth from his perception. So he was really trying not to like talk so much, and he threw at me, and I'm like, why? Why do you threw at me? And he's just not really looking, not engaging, unlike normally. We're 1800 deep. I think preflop is pretty standard. I think four betting would be real bad, and I think folding would be really bad. Uh, so I called. Yeah. What was the three bet size? I mean, I like the call, but he, yeah, two two $100 chips. I made it 65. So a little on the large side, but I mean, I just I have a hand that. You know, he could be a player that's super, super loose and has a very, very tight three-betting range, but with all the evidence we have, it seems like he's not that. So, Yeah, got, I don't think that's call. also too big. It's like 3x plus 5, and there's three blinds, so... No, it's not too big. I just mean, uh, I think he's the type of player where that was kind of bigger for him. I remember when he three-bet me earlier, it was a smaller sizing. It was like 150. So in the back of my mind, I'm definitely thinking, like, hmm. you know, okay. he's a little bit more weighted towards a value hand here. Uh, yeah, I mean, if that's, that, if he, that can that can mean a lot of things. So. If he bumped up his size, then yeah, he's probably it's it's less likely that he's light. I mean, yeah, it could mean that it's less likely that he has aces, but I think it's safe to assume his range is just a little stronger. Yeah, but I you know I call, and yeah, we're we're eighteen we're eighteen hundred deep here, so there's four hundred in the pot on the flop, and I have the ace queen of clubs, and the flop is the jack five deuce. And I remember that the jack was of clubs, and there were two clubs. So it was either jack five of clubs or jack deuce of clubs. And I check, and he bets 225. I think on the flop, I have a pretty clear call. I don't know. What do you think, Jack? Jack five deuce, two clubs? Yeah. So I have, you know, ace queen high and the nut flush draw. Mm-hmm. I, I do think you should call, but I, I guess let's just take a moment, and you probably have... Do you have all the sets here, or do you only have jacks, or do you have jacks and fives? Or I'm just curious what you uh, think. I definitely don't have deuces against this player. You know, deuces 
I'm only going to call deuces at this against players where like I just think they're really weighted towards aces, kings, or queens, and I'm likely to get all the money when I flop a set. This is like I didn't feel like that was true for this guy, so I'm folding deuces. And fives are close. Like I think I think sevens are definitely a call. I think six is a likely call. Five, five, fives might be a fold for me there. So okay, yeah. So. But against this player, I mean, if I flop a set, I don't think I'm I'm raising for what it's worth. Yeah, I think. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. I think you should call because I think I think you would call all those hands. And I'm more thinking about the turn already. Is like, are we going to check raise the turn? Um, exactly. If, if we if if we don't if we don't hit an ace or a queen or a club, yeah. Yeah, I, I think like on an eight, nine, or ten, uh, we should probably check raise jam the turn. Uh huh. And on a higher card, or like a king, or a blank, it's we probably don't have very much fold equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a king is really pretty bad for us. So, I like a, I like a call with with that sort of plan. Yeah, I am also thinking that like you know, if he if he was light pre flop, or if he has like let's say he has ace king, you know, I don't think he's ever not betting on this flop. And I think that given what we've seen from sizing tells and the fact that this is a likely very exploitable player with big sizing tells, even though my sample's really small, is that the sizing makes it a little less likely he has an overpair. Uh, so I think my ace-queen, you know, is good sometimes. And if it's not, you know, good sometimes, I can, you know, take it down later. If we both have an ace-high type hand, uh, you know, I think my ace and queen are going to be live a good amount of the time. So with the odds I'm getting plus the flush draw, I just feel like if I raise, he's never really folding an overpair here. And then I get less value from like his pair of nines that decided to like bet and that I can take the pot from later, even if I miss a good amount of the time. So I think, I think it's a fairly straightforward call, even though I think a lot of people in this spot will be tempted to just raise because you have the nut flush draw, but it's really, you know, what am I trying to accomplish by raising? And yeah, I could probably get pocket nines to fold, but I can get pocket nines to fold later and yeah, so I make the call. Well, so you say your ace queen is sometimes good. Uh huh. What what hands do you think you're beating? Do you, I mean, I guess are you giving him credit to be bluffing sometimes in C bet? Yeah, I think his weight range is weighted towards value, but I think that uh, you know I don't think it'd be out of the question for him to have a pseudo connector here that he decided to raise and is betting. I think mm-hmm. you know we've we've the the pre flop. Here's what we know about him. We know that he plays way way too many hands. And we know that he's three bet like a reasonable percentage of the time. And this time the sizing is bigger. And he's also like, I think clearly kind of like, you know, I don't know about out to get me, but like he, he's out to get me in some sense. And that like, he'd be really, really happy in winning a big pot for me, like much happier than winning a big pot from other people, you know, he's two to yeah. my left. So even though my sizing tell preflop says he's more weighted towards value, there's a lot of things where he can just be light here. I also think the fact that he's a little more stoic uh, makes him a little more weighted towards value. But again, I don't have a, I don't have really good evidence or a good sample to justify that, which is how I felt in the moment that he right. likely had was more had a value hand. So I'm I'm trying to take all these things into account. No, I uh, think with, yeah, I think that's prudent. I guess the the reason I ask the question is because I just kind of want to clarify for the the listeners that a lot of times. So, like, a lot of times when we're playing a more, we're trying to be very balanced, not over bluff, we would want to use ace-queen of clubs in this spot as sort of a bluff catcher, since I think it has a little bit too much showdown value uh, relative to the bluffs. 
to just go ahead and raise now. And so I think more so than uh, the fact that we're sometimes good in this, sorry, in this spot, I think it's less, less so that we think we're good a lot. I think we're very rarely, I think we're very often not good here. I think we're often up against Ace King, up against like tens. And sometimes we're just wrong about this guy's sizing and he has over pairs. I think mm-hmm. that those things are all much more common than him having a very low equity hand in this spot. But but we're still, I think we should call here because with our value hands, we would play them the same way. And I think this guy seems smart enough to pick up on the fact that you might not just go ahead and rip jacks on this flop. Um, yeah, also like, you know, he's betting basically half pot and we have an ace, a queen, and a flush draw. So, you know, we're, we're, we're getting... We're, we're very likely against this player, like, getting the right odds just to, to call. Oh, and yeah. Then, yeah, so it's... You know, even if I'm completely wrong and I'm never good here sometimes, like, I'm confident enough that, like, I have enough implied odds with my ace, my queen, and my clubs, and that I can, you know, maybe even fold when I hit a pair based on sizing and physical tells. Uh, so for that, for, for those reasons alone, it's a call. So it'd have to be pretty exploitative to raise, basically saying that, like, with the sizing, he always has 10s and he always folds. And that's just not something that, you know, I could make with my with my sample. But those are the types of, of plays that, like, you know, if I were to play to him a ton of times and that were to be true, that would be a really nice... Nice thing to have in my arsenal. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I do think we definitely have the odds just to draw here, uh, with almost with just the flush draw alone. Anyways, you call. So I call. So we have now eight hundred fifty dollars in the pot, and approximately four fourteen hundred dollars behind. And the turn is the eight of hearts. I check, and now he bets three twenty five. So first off, before of what you know what. What should I decide to do? What do you think that bet represents? So the turn was the eight of hearts. Uh-huh. And he bets 325, which is about half pot again? No. So, I mean, he bet 225 and a 400, and now he's betting right. 325 and 850. So it's considerably smaller mm-hmm. relative to the pot size. He also, for what it's worth, looked a little nervous as he was doing it. But again, with my sample, like that could be nervous being like, Oh fuck! I really want to get value, not just like I don't want to. I want to take the hand down, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think this could be a lot of things. One, I don't think players are often that cognizant of the size of the pot. You know, he bet bigger than he bet on the turn. It's a, you know, somewhat high dollar amount. Not so much for these stakes, but it's it's not nothing. I mean, it is a three bet pot in a straddle game. So, you know, this is like a 30, almost 33 big blind bet. So given that, I I think we should just raise, I just think raising has a lot of benefit here. I think he'll fold a lot of hands that we beat. I think it's not unreasonable for him to bet tens twice this way. I think he'll have ace-king some of the times, and we don't really have a much better way of beating ace-king than to raise here. And we have, we have outs against his best hands that he decides to call with. We'll sometimes, ace, our ace will sometimes be live. We'll have clubs. The eight's a better card for our range. I, I just think, yeah, you should just raise here, and if you're going to raise, you might have to ship. Hmm. The sizing definitely makes it trickier, not so much in terms of what it means about his range, because I still think it could mean a lot of things, but in terms of what's 
what's the best way for you to approach it? How much do you have behind at this point? We're like fourteen hundred behind, so yeah, just ship it. Yeah, I I, th- I think yeah, I don't think we we can do anything. Oh no no no, I didn't ship it. Well, I mean, I I effectively shipped it. I sometimes do this because I feel like it gives me a little more fold equity. I made it. I mean, I ended up making like eleven hundred or like eleven fifty. Obviously, intending on calling a shove, but just thought that against this type of guy, that would look a lot stronger to him. It's not something I'm doing all the time, but I did that then. But before we talk about the sizing, yeah, I think. On this turn card with this sizing of, of his bet, it's a pretty clear ship because with 325 plus the physical tell, I think it's just more often than not a hand that wants to kind of take it down here that likely has some showdown value and doesn't want to check back. So I think we have a great deal of fold equity when we check raise. And if I'm wrong and he has a set, we have some equity. And if I'm wrong and he has an overpair, we have even more equity. So I think it's just a pretty clear shove. Check calling would be really precarious as it would be very difficult, I think, to get value if we hit on the river, as well as to, you know, bluff even a hand as bad as nines if a blank comes on the river. So I think I think, I think we should, sh- I mean, we raise here, and I happen in the moment to, to think that almost going all in would look a lot stronger. So that's what mm-hmm. I did. And uh, just, as, just for fun, I don't want to assume this is what you would do, but imagine, if you imagine that you play this hand against this guy, and let's say you were on the button... He raised from the big blind, or you're in the cutoff. You raised a three bet from the small blind, mm-hmm. and you flat pre-flop. I, th- I think you're flatting the flop and then flatting the turn. Um, yes, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really happy you mentioned that because yeah, the flatting the turn makes a lot of sense because I think I'm going to be able to get nines or tens to fold on a blank with a shove on the river, and I could kind of play perfectly against his range where like. Yeah, I think this is a very clear call on the turn. I'm clearly getting the right odds just with my implied odds if I hit an ace or hit a club. And then I think I can, you know, bluff effectively on certain runouts. And then if he, like, shoves the river, then I just, you know, am confident enough that this guy is never triple barrel bluffing me in this spot on this runout, and I fold. Yeah, I mean, you also have ace high. I, I, do, I do like this, this bet size, actually, on the turn. From him, yeah, I, I do too. I, I think it is very likely unbalanced, <laughs> and a hand like ace king or nines or tens. But I think if I were in his spot with my entire range in this in this spot, I would want to make a bet size around around this. So good yeah, job, and just Dylan in that respect. <laughs> and to to explain why I think it makes a sort of raise fold strategy a lot less effective, since if you're going to fold to such a small bet, then you you can't you can't fold too much to a small bet because then mm-hmm. he just gets a great price on his bluffs, and if you're if you're raising, you're you're risking quite a lot. Whereas if if you bet like five hundred and then if he bets five hundred and then you shift for fourteen hundred, you're not risking quite as much, uh, relative to the size of the pot. And so you're going to be forced to call a good amount here, just from a balance like in a more balanced world. In in this situation, we're just playing we're in a sort of exploitive mindset, which is the correct way to think. I believe, uh, about this particular hand. Anyways, yeah, so from more of a balanced perspective, with the stack sizes uh, in position, I do like betting smaller. Yeah, a lot of times when you're kind of, when the SPR is really small, whether it's pre-flop or post-flop, you want to bet a size that you could conceivably fold to when that's possible as a general rule. And if not, you should be shoving. So like, for example, like pre-flop, uh, while we were in LA playing, you know, some deep stack five ten games, 
I found myself making a lot more 4-bit bluffs than I normally do and using really small sizings because it was sizings where I could, uh, and I mean obviously value 4-bits as well, but just having a lot of leverage where someone went 3 bits to 300, the stacks are like 1,800, and you make it you know, 700. Because that, that's, that's a size that you can conceivably fold to, but that it makes it very difficult for someone with a light 3-betting hand to flat with. Uh, and I think there's, there's a lot of hands like that where, uh, you know, using a size like that as opposed to just like, you know, deciding that I'm going to just four bet bluff, call it off with these four suited to 950 is going to be the better play. Uh, so I assume he folded or else I think I would remember the hand. <laughs> yeah, he folded pretty quickly and was just like, you had jacks, right? Kind of smiling. And I was like, yeah, and I smiled back. <laughs> I don't think he thought I had jacks. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, he seemed like a smart enough guy to think that you could have jacks, and you could also not have jacks. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of what went into my decision, like, I think, you know, as we analyze it more in depth, I feel better about the decision, but I think once you've played a lot of poker and done a lot of study off the table, it's good to go with your intuition in these spots and my intuition felt that he was just very, uh, just had a hand that he was not going to stack off with. So I, you know, I thought, I thought it was a shove within a few seconds of him betting. And then I obviously thought about it and, you know, thought about all the range considerations and, you know, what hands I'm trying to target to fold and, and made the all in, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that I don't really feel like discussing, but (laughs) the, uh, the, like, not quite all in bet. I just don't see exactly what that accomplishes, but I know you think it looks stronger. So if you think it looks stronger, yep. I, I mean, it's 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 that, it, but. it's that simple. I think I think against a lot of players, it's just stronger. It's like better with your bluffs to be a little bit on the big side because people will have that will just leverage more fold equity and sometimes even disproportionate amount of fold equity relative to how much bigger the sizing would be. Uh, but against this guy, I felt that the 325 was like very likely like the last amount of money he's putting in this pot voluntarily, and a, you know, unlikely but definitely possible a sizing where he's happy to stick it in. So I think against against that range, I want to you know have as much full equity as I can. And I thought against him because he thought I was kind of a better player. He would see that and have the alarm bells go go off because I think a lot of times you're going to have, you know, amateur players that make small raises with really good value hands. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah, definitely. Like if I were like a 75 year old man, I would be, I would be doing that all the time with my bluffs, but, uh, I don't well, know no, just min raise, some... just min raise yeah. when you're 75, just make a 650 there. <laughs> uh, also not sure how he would involuntarily put money in the pot at this point. You know what you know what I mean. I, I just mean that like he's <laughs> no, putting he's yeah. putting in three twenty five and that's it. Just wants to like just wants to hope that like I fold and if I call that like we check it on the check it down on the river. You know. Yeah. He's not happily putting in any more money. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, sounds like you owned him. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. What I was alluding to earlier that I didn't want to share before. We talked about this hand since we didn't have this information at the time. Is that a little bit? So there was this was the 
must move team, and Zach and I both got moved to the main game shortly after, which was a much worse game, at least for a time, before a lot of the people from the main game left, including Zach, I stayed, and this guy actually left before he got to the main game to go play blackjack, and then came back to see if the game was still running at like 4 a.m. and sat down again, and punted, and then left. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good game. Really good game. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. I don't know who we is, but I'll talk to you soon.